So the reading this morning is Luke chapter 24 from verse 13. Um, And on the Church Bibles, you'll find that on page 885. So it's Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognising him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told him what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's make a start. Luke chapter 24, and let's pray uh, that God would come and help us to understand and also help us with our technology. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for sending the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is alive today, that he is with us now. And Lord, we pray, stand as you hear me as I speak. Help us all as we listen. Help the tech to um, in his name, Amen. How's how's that? <laughs> Is that okay? Is that coming through okay? Yep. Great, brilliant. 
uh, well, we've prayed, and I just want to ask uh, the question as we begin, what do you, what do I need to believe that Jesus is alive, that he is risen from the dead? And what do we need to be confident about that? Not just to say, yes, I'm a Christian, I believe that, but to be confident. Because we live in days, don't we, when we're increasingly told that any belief in the Bible is misplaced. It's just a bunch of fairy stories, isn't it? That's what we're told. I mean, it's not true, but that's what we're told. And it sort of seeps into us. We lose our confidence. Or we uh, think about fake news and history being full of it and and being told that history is just the thing that's told by the victors, whether it's true or not, is secondary. It's just a product of our community, we're told. And so there's uh, people throughout the Western world who are stopping believing in Christianity. They, They say they need scientific proof. We looked at that a few weeks ago about how that's not true, that science supports belief in God, in the Bible, but people are giving up on the Christian faith, or, or people are, have their confidence dented. We're told, aren't we, that it's just bound up in our upbringing, in our culture, in our community. There's no such thing as objective, historical truth. Or, or maybe there's moral reasons why we are doubting and, and want to sort of, for various moral things or immoral things that we may prefer to do, we sort of become a little bit less confident of the Christian faith. So it, it's tempting, isn't it, in such days to think we just need something supernatural, don't we? We need a sign of something. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could see Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, in front of us personally? Then we would believe, would we not? Or a miracle, like those first people saw. Then we would believe, wouldn't we? I mean, seeing is believing, isn't it? Now, we've thought elsewhere or in other sermons about how this is an eyewitness account of some supernatural things that happened. And it's true to say that those who were there, the first eyewitnesses who saw what Jesus did and witnessed his resurrection, did write down what they saw. And Luke has carefully investigated those who actually saw those things, eyewitnesses and servants of the word, as we'll see a little later on. So we can be confident that what we're reading was written by those who saw those things happen. If we've heard that they're made up, or our confidence is dented by the suggestion that they're made up, that's just a porky pie. It's not true. These books, the Gospels, were written by those who saw what happened. But maybe we still slightly think, and if I'm honest, I think I sometimes slightly think this, oh... If only I was there. If only I saw these things. I don't know, and those of you who are uh, uh, as old as I am might remember a song that goes something like this. Oh, that we were there. Oh, that we were there. Do you remember that Christian song? Well, it would have been good in some ways. But just one point I think this passage teaches us this morning. Just one thing that the risen Lord Jesus is saying to us through these words We are to see the risen Jesus by his teaching of the Old Testament. 
We're to see the risen Jesus by his teaching of the Old Testament and so delight in him. Delight in him. This truth that Jesus is alive can affect us deep down in our hearts if we get this because it's what Jesus wanted those first disciples to get. It's one of the emphases of Luke's gospel is this idea that the Old Testament, that 2,000 year history recorded in the books of the Old Testament is fulfilled by him. This is not something that can be faked. This is not something that is tied to a particular community or particular personalities. It's historically verifiable. Um, keep a finger in, in Luke uh, 24. I just want to flip back to Luke chapter 1 so that we can see that this is why Luke is writing his book. He wants Christians or one particular Christian called Theophilus, who probably paid for him to write the book, to be confident in terms of what they have heard. So Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished amongst us, or fulfilled amongst us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, he's spoken only to those like Mary and, and Peter and, and John and Cleopas, people who were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty, confidence concerning the things you've been taught. You see, this is not something that's been made up. This is something that fulfills 2,000 years of prophecy and history. And this was Jesus' perspective in his teaching ministry. Flip forward with me to Luke chapter 16. You might think, oh, oh, I just want something a bit more powerful, a bit more supernatural. I mean, if somebody could just come back from the dead and stand in front of me, then surely I would believe that Jesus really is the Son of God. Well, Jesus taught a parable in Luke 16. We're not going to look at it completely. So page 876 in the Bibles, the rich man and Lazarus, Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. And the story goes, there's a rich man who dies, and he's in hell. And Lazarus, the beggar at the gates, is now in heaven. And the, the rich man, who is being tormented in hell, cries out to Abraham, which is where Lazarus is, in heaven, in bliss, and says, look, please send somebody. Please send somebody to go and warn my brothers so that they won't come to this place. This is the story that Jesus is teaching. And we pick it up in verse 28. For I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, so this is what Jesus is teaching through this parable, they have Moses, and the prophets, let them hear them. And he, that's the rich man, said, No, no Father Ahab, if, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. It's, it's sort of the other way round to our thinking, isn't it? This is clearly an interest of Luke. He wants to show his readers, Theophilus and other Christians, how Jesus taught this throughout his whole ministry, that it was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, which is powerful in our hearts to convince us that Jesus is alive. Not just that Jesus stood before Cleopas and his friend, as we'll see. So back to Luke chapter 24. 
Now, I think this story is meant to evoke delight and excitement because Jesus acts. I don't know where else we have recorded in the New Testament. Maybe somebody can tell us where Jesus pretends. Jesus keeps his identity from them. He didn't immediately reveal to them who he was. Why? Why, why does Jesus pretend? And I think the reason is because it is full of the delight and surprise and excitement that Jesus brings to Cleopas and his friend. See, just as Jesus appeared in humble ordinariness to Mary Magdalene, as recorded in John's Gospel, he, he appeared to her as a gardener. She mistook him for the gardener, and she couldn't understand why the body had gone. And so she says to the gardener, who is Jesus, Lord, where have, have, you, have you taken him? Tell me where you've found him. Why did Jesus appear like that? So that Mary could hug him. And she recognized who he was when he said that one word in that familiar tone, Mary. And so here, the surprise to Cleopas and his friends is so that Jesus can speak to their hearts. So he can get even closer to them in fellowship, round a table. That wouldn't have happened unless Jesus had acted. So four scenes that Jesus acts. Jesus joins them in verses 13 to 16, but they do not see him. Look at verse 13 with me. That very day, the Sunday, the same day that Jesus had uh, risen from the dead and, and that the women had seen the angels, that they're walking to Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're chatting away. And Jesus draws near to them and walks with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him God keeps them from seeing him it's not just Jesus at work it's God the Trinity at work and I don't know whether you like surprises I know some people don't like surprises I tend not to like surprises but if someone were to organize a surprise party would you cringe or would you be filled with delight what kind of surprise would fill you with delight? It's the kind of surprise, I guess, in which somebody has been deceptive in some way. Not necessarily been totally a liar, but whatever surprise they've organised, they've had to keep the truth of what is going on from you, haven't they? But then that moment when you recognise that they've planned this surprise or got this present, whatever it is, is one of delight, is it not? They, they love you, they, they care for you, they've done something that they know you appreciate, that you enjoy. And that is, I think, why Jesus is acting in this situation. He's bringing delight and excitement and joy to Cleopas and his friends. But he does act. Look at verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk. Now, Jesus knew. And they stop, open-mouthed, 
looking at Jesus with sad faces full of grief. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? says Jesus, innocently. Now this is filled with delicious irony, is it not? Jesus, in risen power, has such understanding of what the disciples need that he keeps his identity from them so that later on, Cleopas and his friend can remember with fondness and delight that Jesus was with them all along. The, the, the one they were saying, don't you know what has just happened? He was the focus of what had just happened. He was the one crucified and raised. But he is so mightily and sovereignly in control that he is almost playful with them. Why? Well, it would bring them a smile in the days to come, would it not, when they remembered how Jesus had dealt with them, the surprise that he'd sprung on them to help them to understand more deeply even than Mary what he'd come to do. Verse 19, they tell him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, as we learned last, last time. They weren't expecting an empty tomb. They had the spices for a corpse. They, weren't going to, 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 they didn't believe that dead people rise. They, they went, and they were surprised. They found the tomb empty, and they didn't find his body. They came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were there with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. The tomb was empty. The body was gone. They have revealed their understanding to Jesus, the bare facts. They, they still don't really understand. And Jesus wants to understand them to understand not just that he is risen, but that he's fulfilled the whole Old Testament. He wants to go deeper than just their eyewitness of his resurrected body. It's the same in the next chunk of Luke's Gospel. Now, just as an aside, if, if we're doubting whether this is a story that's been made up, if you were to make up a story, you wouldn't make women the first witnesses of the resurrection. We do all know that, don't we? That a, a woman's witness or testimony in the first century was inadmissible in a court of law. And so if you were making this up, you wouldn't have made the women the first witnesses, the prime witnesses in many ways. No, this is truth, which is stranger than fiction. But on to our next scene, verses 25 to 27. And Jesus rebukes them for not seeing him in the Old Testament. They don't see him. He's right before them. And then he rebukes them for not seeing what has happened. Verse 25, he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, Jesus knows they need a loving rebuke. He knows where the problem lies in their unbelief. They are slow of intellect? No, of heart. This is not an intellectual problem, but a problem of what they love. This is why in his divine wisdom, Jesus has organized this encounter because he wants to go deeper than their physical eyes can see. It doesn't matter whether there was 
somebody who'd come back from the dead standing in front of them if they did not understand the Old Testament scriptures. If, if they're not going to listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even by somebody being raised from the dead. And it's the same for you and me today. If we won't go to the Bible to be convinced that Jesus is alive, we'll never be convinced. Even if there's somebody who's standing in front of us who was dead, who is now alive, that would not convince us, according to Jesus. So I take it to be true. But he explains, verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a Bible overview that would have been. I would like to have been uh, listening to that one. But we can, can't we? Because it's been recorded for us by those eyewitnesses who were taught by Jesus himself how he did fulfill all the Old Testament scriptures. You can't read a gospel account of the death and resurrection of Jesus without it being flecked with Old Testament allusions. They got this. Because Jesus, and this is our next scene, is seen in the heart. That's why he's acting. He wants people today as back then to see him in our hearts. Jesus acted, verse 28, as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. It's getting dark, Jesus. Come and stay. It's not safe to travel at night. So he went in to stay with them. That He's still acting. Still they don't recognize him. So why is it now that God opened their eyes that Jesus revealed who he was to them? Well, they tell us, verse 30, when he was with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And what's their immediate reaction? Oh, we've just seen a guy disappear in front of us. Oh, that was Jesus. Uh, wow, a miracle. No. How do they react? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Isn't that amazing? They are more taken up with the excitement, the inner joy, the delight that Jesus had brought them in their hearts as he taught them the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures. See, that's how we believe. That's how you or I believe. That's how we gain confidence in our faith that Jesus is the risen Lord. By hearing the teaching of the Bible, the teaching of the Old Testament, or for us, Old and New Testaments. And it's relational, isn't it? I mean, I think that's the point of Jesus being recognized when he breaks the bread. This is not the Lord's Supper. Cleopas was not at the Lord's Supper. There's no wine involved. This is just a meal of fellowship with Jesus being the presiding host, breaking the bread. We don't know whether it was something about the way he broke the bread or the nail marks in his hands that they saw or the way he prayed. But whatever it was, their reaction was not, this is supernatural. Their reaction was, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened to us the scriptures? Now, this is vitally important for us to 
take to heart, isn't it? As Jesus is our teacher this morning, personally, relationally, he's speaking to you, he's speaking to me. You see, where does the power lie for our delight and confidence in Jesus as the risen Lord? Where does that conviction come from? What reaches into our hearts? Well, it's what we do here Sunday by Sunday. We, we open the scriptures and we look to Jesus to be our teacher. When we receive what he says, whether it's whether we go to Word Alive or when we open the, the Bible in our quiet times or read Christian books to help us understand how the Bible fits together or read a gospel or take a book, it's Jesus who speaks to us, the risen Lord. We live in an age of fake news, don't we? We live in an age of relative truth. The sheer number of books is a distraction. The world of literature can tempt us to think that this is just another book or just another bit of information that we absorb as we scroll through other things and receive messages and information and it's contradictory and it's just all made up, a lot of it, or it's certainly a particular perspective. Now this book, the Bible, the teaching of Jesus about it, recorded for us by the apostles that brings confidence, excitement, delight and faith in a risen Lord is a living book. It's God's book. That is how we come to faith. That is how our confidence is refreshed and nourished. It's how our hearts are excited how they burn within us that, yeah, I know Jesus is alive. It's not to minimize the historical eyewitness testimony of the New Testament. It was written by people who saw Jesus do these things. But it is so important that we are reminded this morning, me as well as everybody else, that it fits with the Old Testament, which Jesus used to show that he was raised from the dead. In other words, if, if all we had was the New Testament, it's just one moment in history, it doesn't sort of fit with the build-up. See, Luke will go on to describe how this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just some dead history book. The Bible is a living word brought to us by the living God about the resurrection power of his Christ. And all the gospel writers are keen for us to see not only that, that they saw the Lord Jesus alive bodily, he ate barbecued fish to show that he wasn't a ghost. He was hugged by Mary. He prepared breakfast for his disciples. But also that it fits with all the Old Testament. It can't be made up when it's a 2,000-year fulfillment of prophecy. It can't be made up or witnessed in some kind of skewed way by the people of the day when it's been predicted for thousands of years. Now, what, what does that mean for our Bible reading? And this is where I just want to close. Well, I think it means that we've got to be aware of uh, dangers that I have, I'm sure we all have. So it goes something like this. 
I, I really want to get the Bible passage right. I, I want to understand what it says. There are the words. The words give it meaning. I've learned about the context. I know the genre. I know the right reading of the text. I want to extract the correct reading. Job done. I've understood the Bible. Or another approach. I want to experience God through the Bible. I, I come to the passage, and how does it make me feel? And the, the words are somewhat secondary. People can say quite different things. The text has no actual meaning other than the one people have experienced. People can end up delighting in what, what they want to delight in. It might be completely different to what I delight in as I come to this particular part of the Bible. No, to both. The words communicate meaning and it's human it's yeah the context is important how we understand the particular passage is important but the most important aspect of that is the heart is our hearts how we respond to what God is saying to us through this particular part of the Old Testament or New Testament and our problem is that we are slow of heart just like Cleopas and his friend we need the risen Lord Jesus to be our teacher. He's the only teacher, isn't he? The living one who can sovereignly organize the history of Cleopas and his friend, who can bring understanding to them whenever he wants, the sovereign Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one who is sovereignly in control of our lives, who knows everything about us. He is our teacher, is he not, the risen Lord? It isn't he? And I hope you th don't think it's me. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not the teacher or a teacher. There's only one teacher, Jesus says. We, we know that we're not to call people father, because there's only one father. And we're not to call people Bible teachers either, because there's only one teacher, Jesus, the living Lord. So as we come to the scriptures, I don't know, it might be that the, these things are very new to us and we've never really read the Bible. Well, do take a, a gospel or do take a Bible. We're going to get some more soon, so take a Bible, just let me know. Uh, or we've been reading the Bible for years and years and years. Or we think, I'm, I'm really struggling to read the Bible at the moment because, well, my intellectual capacity is not what it used to be. Or I'm just so dog-tired with the kids, there's not much point in me reading the Bible. Or I'm, I'm depressed at the moment and, and reading's really, really hard. I, I can't do it. Or my mental health is not what it ought to be. Well, actually, all those reasons do not overcome the power of Jesus, the risen Lord. Do we come to the Bible trusting not in our emotions, not in our intellectual capacity, but in Jesus. I know this seems really basic. It's really basic, isn't it? But if you're anything like me, I keep slipping away from that. I think that I've got to get the right emotional tone, or I've got to have the right experience, or I've got to do the work in the commentaries, or... No. As we come to God's word this morning, as we read it throughout the week, whatever books we read, let's trust in the risen Lord. Rely on him to be our teacher. Oh Lord Jesus, would you be our teacher? Because the problem is much more deep 
than my mind or my emotions. It goes right to the heart of who I am and how I need your power, your voice to change that. So let's go read our Bibles this week. Let's rely in our living and loving Lord. And let's do so with delight. Because that's what he wanted of those first disciples. Let's pray together. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we can see in this passage how much you loved Cleopas and his friend, and you wanted them to understand from the heart what had been revealed about you throughout the whole Bible of the time. Lord Jesus, we're sorry that we trust in our own powers, be it emotional or intellectual. Forgive us, Lord, and help us as we listen to your word preached, as we read your word, maybe for the first time or for the millionth time. Help us to trust only in you, the living Lord, that we might delight in what you show us. Amen.